Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Well, we gather now under the Word of God, and I'm just wondering as you find your Bible there and you prepare to open it to 2 Kings chapter 18, how many sermons have you heard in your lifetime? How many sermons, how many messages, maybe you listen to podcasts or messages, how many sermons have you heard in your lifetime? There's no way I can even count the number of sermons that I've given. I, I did some quick math, and I think since this church called me to serve here, it's somewhere above a thousand sermons. I wish I could remember all the sermons I've given, but um, perhaps, perhaps this is your first sermon. Perhaps somebody invited you today, and you're here. Maybe you are praying for someone in your family or someone close to you, a coworker, a neighbor, someone that you love and you have been praying for them and praying for them and it seems like things are not changing and you are tempted at times to think and believe, I don't know if it can ever change. Maybe this is about your own heart, your own struggles. Maybe it's even your own unbelief. And I don't know, you might be saying, if things can ever change. As I was preparing this message from 2 Kings 18 this week, that song that we just sang together kept going through my mind over and over and over is Jesus, you change not just little things, you change everything, everything. Maybe you are one sermon, maybe it's today from moving away from unbelief into faith in Christ. Maybe it's one sermon from struggling with addiction to being set free in Christ because you finally take him at his word and trust him implicitly, completely. Maybe it's today. This one message, and you will take that one step of obedience and faith in Christ today. Everything can change about our lives, honestly, in one moment. And some of us are tempted to think, I've heard of that, but I don't know if that's true for me. And I'm praying that this sermon, that this message, that this text, that you so graciously gather to hear the word of God, not, you want to hear scripture, not stories, Right? Aren't we about done with storytellers in pulpits across our nation and world? Aren't we hungry and in a famine for the word of the Lord? So there's really no way, and I don't apologize for it, to take this complete message of Hezekiah and just give you a verse and a verse and then send you on your way and, and let's see how the football game goes. I don't really care about the football game. I care that we win in life according to what Jesus says. And I care about the guys playing football and all the people gathering to watch the football. I got some amens on that one. All right. Let's go to uh, 2 Kings chapter 18. 2 Kings chapter 18. We have seen the gospel displayed throughout this series that there is a God in heaven, that he sent his one and only son to rescue sinners 
and he delivered, he has been delivering, he is delivering today, and he will deliver in the future. And we wait on his return. 2 Kings chapter 18. This morning we're going to unpack this, this idea, okay? The main idea. Our God is an awesome God. So that just fired up another song in my head, right? Our God is an awesome God. He reigns, right? Never underestimate the power of one. And my prayer My desire, my goal, so I want you to get your pens out. I want you to get your study guide out. I want you to have your Bible in front of you. I don't want you to just listen. There's Bibles under the chairs. If you don't have a Bible, we want to give you a Bible. You take it with you, okay? If anybody doesn't have a Bible, let's get one to them, okay? I want you to see the Word of God. I want you to hear the Word of God. I want you to record this important message because if you don't, you might be tempted to say, yeah, that's good for everybody else, but not for this one. Oh, I pray this message will unpack that and just destroy that wrong thinking. Never underestimate the power of one. First of all, we see in our text one righteous king. All right, this king's name is Hezekiah. He's a king in Judah, so we're in the southern kingdom. We've been focusing a lot in the northern kingdom, out there in Samaria where Elijah ministered, where Elisha ministered, divided kingdom. Now it's is when we come to a head, what we've been talking about, and we see this king, his his name is Hezekiah. And Hezekiah, if you say, well, pastor, you know, my heritage isn't that great. My parents weren't believers in Christ. My grandparents, I'm maybe the first believer, and I don't know if my family can change, and can God use me? Then let the message of Hezekiah resonate in your heart. 2 Kings 18 in verse 1, in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, the king of Israel, that's northern kingdom, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, that's the southern kingdom, all right, the two tribes, 10 tribes up north. Here we meet the king of the southern kingdom focused in and around Jerusalem. Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. Now here we meet Hezekiah. His father, all right, if you've seen Lord of the Rings, you see a a ruler lose his mind and proceed to attempt to offer his own son on an altar of sacrifice. Well, that isn't just make-believe. That actually happened, and it happened by Hezekiah's father. Hezekiah's dad offered his brother as a sacrifice on an altar, trying to gain an advantage, trying. And this is still happening in our world, loved ones, that we will sacrifice the, life, the lives of others who will interfere with my life. Sound familiar? Well, that's Hezekiah's dad. He was known for serving idols. He was known for being a servant of the Assyrian king. He was upside down and he was a mess. But let me tell you something, Hezekiah was not like his dad. He was not like his father. He was more like his great, 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 great grandfather, David. I don't know if I got enough greats in there, but you can, do the, you can do the timeline of all the kings. He was much like him. Look at verse 3 of chapter 18. And it says, And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, According to all that David, his father, had done, he removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. 
He broke in pieces. Here we go. You remember this message? The bronze serpent. Well, this shows up again. That Moses had made for those, until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called, and there's two words shoved together in Hebrew, Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following them, but kept the commandments that the Lord had commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went out, he prospered. He rebelled against, so this is different than his dad. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. He struck down the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory from watchtower to fortified city. So this guy is unusual. Hezekiah is radically different than his father. He purged out all kinds of idolatry. And let me tell you something, this is very rare, even in and around Jerusalem, to have a righteous king. And he got busy cleaning. And he purged out all the idolatry, even got to that bronze serpent, Somebody dug that out like things are going bad in Israel. Well, I remember the Lord delivered us once through the serpent. You missed the point, people. It was the God who gave his word. And so here Hezekiah is looking over like, what is the serpent? What are we doing with this serpent? Hey, get out the grinders, you know, get out the shredders, whatever he found. And he ground it to powder. They'd all forgotten the giver and they idolized the gift. Can't we become tempted to do this? All of our talents, all of our gifts, all of our abilities, all of our enjoyments, and we forget the giver. And we begin to worship the gift. But not this guy. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord. He was completely sold out to Yahweh. He stood out as a righteous king. He pleased the Lord. He held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord uh, commanded Moses. So Hezekiah loved and served the Lord from his heart. Does that describe you this morning? Are you that kind of a person that you trust in the Lord, that you hold fast to the Lord, that you don't forsake the Lord and go after lesser things, people, places, pleasures? They will all let you down. So the Lord blessed Hezekiah. He protected him. The Lord was with him, it says. This is important. In verse 9, in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hosea of Elah. So you're given the times of the northern kingdom, the reigns there, and the southern kingdom. So it's the fourth year of Hezekiah's reign, which was the seventh year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel. Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria, northern kingdom, besieged it, verse 10, and at the end of three years, took him three years to do it, he took it. They finally gave in, they fell. In the sixth year, now of Hezekiah, two years later, two to three years later, which was the ninth year of Hosea, king of Israel, Samaria was taken. The king of Assyria carried the Israelites away to Assyria and put them in Hala and on the harbor and, and on the Habor and the river of Gozan and in the cities of the Medes because they did not. Here's the reason why the northern kingdom fell. Because they did not do what? Obey the voice of the Lord their God. They didn't do what was right, but instead they transgressed his covenant, even all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded. They neither listened nor obeyed. 
Sounds like many of us when we were kids, or maybe that's carried into our adulthood. What'd you say? Huh? What? I wasn't listening. Oh, I heard you, but I'm not going to do it. They didn't listen, and they didn't obey. So in 720 B.C., the northern kingdom was carried off into captivity into Assyria. The reason? Very clear. They did not obey. And that is what God said in all of that time. They had, a, they had Elijah, and they had Elisha, and they had warning after warning after warning after warning, and they had revival, and they had rebellion, and they had all of that going on for all of those years in 720 B.C. That's it. The Lord says, you're, I'm done. Northern kingdom, you're gone. So the northern kingdom gets taken away. And then there's the, the Assyrian king begins thinking, well, what's going wrong? We have offended the gods in that land. So let's send some people back and let's keep the worship going because I'm trying to please all the gods everywhere. That's where you get the Samaritans from is they're a mixed race. Everybody tracking with me now? All right, so Assyria came into the northern kingdom, takes away the people, and then the Assyrian king says, wait a second, what if I've offended the God over that land? Not realizing he's the God over all. But he says, so send back some priests and send back some people so we don't offend that God. And that's where the mixed race comes from of Israelites marrying Assyrians because he put out people he didn't really want in Assyria. And so Assyria didn't like the people in Samaria, the northern kingdom, and the Israelites down in the southern kingdom didn't like, that's when Jesus meets the woman at the well. That's her heritage. It's all a confusion. It's a mixture of rebellion and, and worship mixed with pagan worship and Baal worship and Assyrian, all this. And then she says, I perceive you're a prophet. Can you tell me, can you straighten this mess out? Where are we supposed to worship? And Jesus says, oh, it's not going to be on this hill or that hill. The Father is seeking those who will worship him everywhere. It's going to every hill and every valley and every people group. Amen? That's, that helps you get, I, I trust that helps you get a little background for where this all developed. Now, in this moment of weakness, Hezekiah, so the northern kingdom falls, and then the Assyrian king turns his attention toward the southern kingdom, toward Hezekiah. He begins to set his eye on the next prize, the next conquest. Verse 17, and the king of Assyria sent the Tartan and the Rabsaris and the Rabshakeh with a great army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. And they went up and came to Jerusalem. When they arrived, they came and they stood by the conduit of the upper pool. Just a note, you can still look at Hezekiah's conduit. It's a marvel. It's a wonder. He put a viaduct in, a tunnel in. It's called Hezekiah's Tunnel. You can Google it. You can search it. And it's how he was ready. If that king would come, he was a, he was a good king. If Assyria would come against him, he could stand a long time because they blocked all the wells out in the land and they kept water flowing in Jerusalem, which would mean you can live and you can have uh, hygiene. You can be clean and you won't have disease kill you as a people. Hezekiah's Tunnel. So here they come. They come to the washer's field, verse 18. And when they called for the king, there came out to him Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder. King didn't come. Verse 19, and the Rabshakeh said to them, say to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, on what do you rest this trust of yours? Do you think that mere words are strategy for power and war? In whom do you now trust that you have rebelled against me? 
Behold, are you trusting? You are trusting now in Egypt, that broken reed of a staff, which will pierce the hand of any man who leans on it. Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and all to all who trust in him. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and altars Hezekiah has removed? saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar at Jerusalem. Come now, make a wager with my master, king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses if you're able to do your part and set riders on them. How then can you repulse a single captain among the least of my master's servants when you trust in Egypt for chariots and for horsemen? Moreover, is it without the Lord that I have come up against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Now, I just realized something, and that is I missed the end of the reading. I, I, I started doing explaining, and I missed verses 13 to 16. And then that's a key point in here, because this is where Hezekiah stumbles. I, I, I'm, I'm backtracking here. Go back to verse 13. This is 710 BC. This is 10 years later. 10 years later, we see this evil enemy. I see what happened now. I totally skipped in my notes here. All right. One evil enemy. Oh, thanks, guys, for in the back. Get me back on track here, okay? Let me say this. Ezekiah was a, a righteous king, and so we would want to read the story this way. We would think the story should go this way, and everything went good for him. He served the Lord, he loved the Lord, and everything was great. Everything was wonderful, but it isn't because the Assyrian king turns his sights to Jerusalem, and in a moment... He stumbles when Sennacherib comes in verse 13 in the 14th year of King Hezekiah. Sennacherib, so now the next king is reigning in Syria, and Assyria came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. And Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying, I have done wrong, withdraw from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will bear. You hear this? This is Hezekiah saying, my bad, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, whatever you want. I'll, I'll give it to you. And the king of Assyria required of Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. And Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in all the treasuries of the king's house. And at that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the doorpost that Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king, not of kings, the king of Assyria. This is the point where he stumbled. This is the moment where everything was going well and then here he comes, and the king of Assyria turns his attention to him, and he panics, and he begins to say, I'm sorry, and he, uh, what can I give to you? And he goes to the temple, to God's house, and he begins peeling off the wealth and gives it to the Assyrian king. Now we're good, right? Now, now we're at peace, right? You'll leave us alone, right? Then the section that I read out of place is, actually, no, I'm still coming for you. Full speed ahead. In the mind of all the peoples, there's nothing that could stop this Assyrian king from taking possession of the world. Everyone is wondering, I thought Hezekiah was maybe supposed to be that Davidic king that would rule the world, but wow, he's pretty weak at this moment. And maybe, is this, who's the king of the world? This battle for the ages is waging right here in and around Jerusalem, and that's when the Assyrian king says, thanks for the appetizer, I'm coming for the main course. Now Hezekiah is between a rock and a hard place because he was the righteous king. Let's do what's right and let's all, let's all give to the Lord and let's make the temple beautiful and let's do all this. And the, ah, 
peel it all off. Give it to him. We're sorry. You hear that? That's your leader. That's your king. That's your Davidic king, and he's panicking. So you know all the people are like, what are we doing now, and where do we go now? Hezekiah and his men forgot the invisible, and they started focusing their attention on the visible. Now look in verse 26. All right, so that whole speech was given. Who are you going to trust? You're going to trust Egypt? They're no hope. We took care of them. Verse 26, then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and Shebna, and Joah said to the Rabshakeh, please, speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it. Do not speak to us in the language of Judah within the hearing of the people who are on the wall. Don't let the kids hear this, Okay. You're scaring everybody. The weakness of God's people then emboldens the enemy. They can smell fear in the air. And the Assyrians don't back down. They ratchet it up. They turn it up. They crank it up. Verse 27. But the Rabshakeh said to them, can you imagine that scene? Here's your mighty three men the king has sent, their envoy of the king. Here's this representative of the king of Assyria. And they're like, please, can you just keep it down? Speak in the language that nobody will know what's going to happen. Oh, okay. I don't think so. But the Rabshakeh said to them, has my master sent me to speak these words to your master and to you and not to the men sitting on the wall who are doomed with you to eat their own dung and drink their own urine? Notice, he's not ratcheting it down, okay? This is what happens in times of famine. It's the unmentionable to survive. And he's saying, I'm going to get more graphic in how I describe. Then the Rabshakeh stood, all right, whatever the little table was for the meeting place, now he stands up and calls out in a loud voice in the language of Judah, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. He's pretty confident here. He's my king. Thus says the king, verse 29, do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you out of my hand. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying, the Lord will surely deliver us, and the city will not be given over into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria. Make your peace with me. Come out to me. Then each one of you will eat of his own vine, each one of his own fig tree, each one of you will drink water of his own cistern until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards and a land of olive trees and honey that you may live and not die. Do not listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you by saying, the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations ever delivered his land out of the hand of my king, the king of Assyria? Now he starts listening. Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Shepharim, Hena, and Iva? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their lands out of my hand? That the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand. Okay, that's a taunt. These are fighting words. What's he saying in summary? Don't trust. Your king is trying to deceive you. Don't listen to him. Look at you, little Judah. 
What nation is there that, that's one against my king? Don't trust in your Lord. Didn't, wrongly, he thinks, Hezekiah mess up all his worship places? I mean, he dashed up. I heard some bronze serpent or something. He got rid of that. Your rabbit's foot is gone. All your luck, all your horoscopes, all that stuff, it's all been ruined by this guy. Don't listen to him. And then he says, you know what we'll do? We, a foreign government, will provide you a comfortable life. You can live on the government. Come to a government and we'll take care of you. No, that, that wasn't this week's news. That was what was happening here. Whenever a government says, trust in me and don't trust in the Lord, you can guarantee that, tr that government is not submitted to heaven. It's functioning on the principles of hell. Yeah, that's this guy and a lot of other politicians in our day. He says this, wouldn't you rather live than die? Does that remind anyone of a message of a dying Moses? When he sets the people on the two mountains and he tells them, choose life, choose life, choose life, that you may live and not die. Choose life, but I can't choose this for you. Choose life. Well, he's stealing that message. Here's your choose life. Give in and come to Assyria with us. Trust in my king. And then he says, and he starts listing off, what about this guy? What about that guy? What about this guy? This guy didn't deliver. This guy didn't deliver. This guy was, where are all these gods? They're all on our wall. You gonna trust in your God? Who is your God? But the people are silent. Look at verse 36, but the people. Okay, this situation's looking bad. Humanly impossible. But the people were silent and answered him not a word, for the king's command was, do not answer him. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household in Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told them, told him the words of the Rabshakeh. Okay, this is where, in a movie scene, the lights are going out. Like, this is, this is getting darker and darker, and hope is fading. We saw one righteous king took a stand, one e evil enemy picked a fight, and this led to where we are at the turn of the chapters, one overwhelming situation. It's an overwhelming situation. Okay, this, the Syrian king, yeah, he's got, he's the superpower of the world. There's nothing to think anything will stop me. He's ruler of the world, and he just keeps conquering, keep conquering. He just kept on, kept on. But Hezekiah turns to the Lord. Now, I want you to think about something. Before we start reading in 19, the last thing that Hezekiah was doing was taking all of the wealth out of the temple and giving it to the foreign king. So I want you to be thinking about something. If you say, well, I made these commitments to the Lord and I used to do the, I used to serve him and I used to think of him and I used to be in the word and I used to pray. I used to share my faith. I used to do all of these things, but it's been a while. It's been a month. It's been a year. It's been maybe a decade. How will the Lord respond to me? Can I really go back to this God or is he gonna treat me like this Assyrian king? I'm glad you asked. Let's let the text answer this. 
As soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes, he covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shebna the secretary, and the senior priests covered with sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos. They said to him, thus says Hezekiah, this day is a day of distress, of rebuke, and of disgrace. Children have come to the point of birth, and there's no strength to bring them forth. It may be, you hear the humility here in this prayer, it may be that the Lord, not our God, the Lord your God, Isaiah, prophet Isaiah, it may be that the Lord your God heard all the words of the Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, had sent to mock the living God and will rebuke the words that the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer, Isaiah, for the remnant that is left. Okay, Hezekiah heard the word. He got the message, and he was at the end of his human resources. He tried everything. He had done everything in his own human ability to try to win this, settle this, and move on with life, and it wasn't working. Anybody there? You've tried this, and you've tried that, and you've tried like Solomon. He tried sex. He tried money. He tried travel. He tried everything, and he got to the end and said, it's empty. It's empty. It's empty. Except to know God, to fear God, and keep his commandments, and that is the whole summation of the point of life. Does that describe your life? Hezekiah is at the end. He doesn't go to Isaiah. Can you, can, you, can you get inside his skin a little bit here to think of how down and discouraged and defeated he is as a leader? I was the guy saying, this is the way and this is the Lord, and now I, I panicked. Now what do I do? I've got nothing left. You know, what am I going to do? Give him some sheep? He took all our wealth. I've got nothing left. Nothing personally, Nothing corporately in our, in our nation. He tore his clothes. He's more concerned about the glory of God than his own. Can I just pause there for a moment? Do you get, now listen to me, do you get more offended when your name is dishonored or when God's name is dishonored? Do you get more bent out of shape when somebody messes with you or when someone doesn't know the Lord or dishonors the Lord and his name and his glory or misrepresents him? That's what's at stake. You understand, I'm, I'm just gonna say it here. The whole transgender movement is assaulting the creation that God said it is good. And so coming from another direction is coming to say, let's pull out from under children the very fundamental God made you, Psalm 139, and he made you perfectly. And someone else says, no, he didn't. Question that. Undo that. Doubt the goodness of God. Doubt the plan of God. Doubt the wisdom of God. What will you have at the end of that road? More suicide, more depression, more dysfunction. And we as the people of God, we must lovingly, firmly, tenderly stand in and say, hey, there is a God. And the whole world in this moment is saying, we're in trouble. There's no one coming for us. Hey, Isaiah, do you think you might pray to your God for us? 
Oh, that the people of God would be the people that other people turn to and say, I've heard you'll pray. Will you pray for me? I'm in a situation that's beyond my understanding or control. Will you pray for me? He covered himself with sackcloth, with ashes. He said it's a visible sign of distress and humility, and he went into the house of the Lord. There he went to worship. Jot down Psalm 73. Psalm 73 is a great segue psalm of Asaph that he doubted, he struggled, and then he did just this. He went into the house of the Lord. Listen, loved ones, we worship our way into sin, and we worship our way out of sin. It's placing value, love, adoration on something, idolatry that is not God, and it's sin. The way out is not to try harder to not sin. It's to look to Christ. It's to look to God. It's to love him with all of our hearts, all of our minds. Then he sends for help. He sends for help. It's a humble petition. Will this God respond to us? And I want you to see the response from Isaiah. It's very rapid. It's an immediate response. Look at 19 verse 5. When the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, say to your master, thus says the Lord, do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard with which the servants of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. That is just like straight to the point. Hey, here's the battle plan. Don't worry about a thing. Don't be afraid. I'm sovereign over all kings. He will die by the sword in his own land. So then you think, oh, this is great. This message, it's going to be wonderful. The Lord's going to do this. And look how the text moves on because the king of Assyria, he's got another battle going on with Egypt. He hears about it. And you'd think Hezekiah might be thinking, well, maybe this is where he's going to turn his attention a different direction. And I'm going to see God's plan work out this way. Verse 8, the Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria fighting against Libna. For he'd heard that the king had left Lachish. Now the king heard concerning Tur. More, more names for your kids if you're interested. Jerhaka, the king of Cush. Behold, he has sent out to fight against you. So he sent messengers again to Hezekiah saying, thus shall you, shall you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands, devoting them to destruction. And shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them? The nations that my fathers destroyed, Gozan, Haran, Rezeph, and all the people of Eden who were in Telassar. Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Sarah, Seph Erverim, the king of Hena, and the king of Iva? So he's again listing it all off. This doesn't sound right, Isaiah. He moved his attention to go at Egypt, and then he said, but hold on a second, send a dispatch back over there just in case Judah wants to get us from the backside. Let them know we've got it on both fronts. My eye, he's doing this. I'm still watching you. Oh, I'm fighting over here, and I'm going to take care of business over here, but I'm still watching you, and I'll be right back. So he kind of gives the same speech warmed over a little bit, added a little bit of stuff to it. Then we see one authentic prayer. One authentic prayer. Okay, so now there's some pushback. Well, I thought he was gonna go back and die in his own land. This, this isn't working out the way, I, the way I thought. One authentic prayer. 
I've mentioned uh, recently the, the, the book by Ray Ortland, The Death of Porn, Men of Integrity, Building a World of Nobility. And he's addressing more than just the battle of the mind and heart with pornography. He's really dealing with all sin. And he says this, he says, our view, many people have two different wrong views of Jesus. They have the feel-good Jesus. He says, basically like a bobblehead Jesus, you know. He's just happy that you try, and he's happy you show up every now and then in church. And then bobblehead Jesus is just there to fulfill all your dreams. That little, that little Jesus you know is not enough to deliver you from anything. But you're comfortable with that little feel-good Jesus that is a wrong understanding of Jesus. And then he said in the other ditch is the feel-bad Jesus. You know, he, he says that this is the tough hombre that's just waiting to punish you and, and put you down and just smash you. You did what again? I'll destroy you. He said these, these two views of Jesus, you'll try harder. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't accomplish anything. It's misunderstanding who Jesus is. And he says it this way. He said, our self-invented Jesuses don't help us at all. We have to see Jesus as revealed in Scripture. Hezekiah, wonderful, righteous king, stumbles, falls, struggles, ends up, he will die. He'll fail if you read on past this message. We need someone better than Hezekiah. His name is Jesus. Hezekiah, here engaged in worship. Look at verse 14. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers, and he read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and he spread it before the Lord. I love this. He's seeking the Lord. He takes the letter and he goes up to the house of the Lord and he just puts the letter right out there on the table. Time for a business meeting, God. This order is on the table. And here he gives the entire situation over into the hand of the Lord. We sang it last week. This is how we fight our battles. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Here, he fights on his knees. And this prayer involves adoration and petition. Hezekiah, verse 15, prayed before the Lord. Hmm. He's not sending it to Isaiah anymore. Oh, Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations in their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but were the works of men, work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, what does he pray? Save us, please, from his hand. Why? That all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O oh Lord, are God alone. 
That is a straightforward prayer. He's simply saying, you are worthy. You created everything. You own everything. You're above everything. This enemy that we're facing is mighty compared to us, but he's nothing compared to you. You reign over him. They have a resume of victories that we can't compete with, but he can't compete with you, Lord, and he's picking a fight with you. We are needy. So this is what he's saying. You're worthy. You're glorious. We're needy. We need help. Please, we need help. Save us. Why? So that everyone will know who you are. So that everyone will worship you. Is that the cry of your heart? And he's simply saying, Hosanna, right? Save us. Rescue us. We need divine rescue here. We need to be delivered. And then we receive in in verse 5, one divine prophecy. One promise comes from God, and it's very precise. It comes with precision. The prayer was heard. Let me see that in verse 20. Anybody uh, really love it when you send someone a text message and they leave you unread? Huh? That bothers you, right? Like, come on. Or unanswered. I'm sorry if it was me and I haven't texted back yet. All right. This message did not go unheard or unread. It was responded to in a powerful way. God heard the prayers of his people. Verse 20, then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah saying, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, your prayer to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria? What's the answer? Oh, I heard it. I heard it. I was listening. I heard this prayer. I heard this. He's not an imaginary idol that's dead and unable to hear our prayers. The Lord says, hey, Isaiah, send a word to the king. I heard the prayer. I heard it all. And I've heard what Sennacherib said. And the prayer was answered. This is powerful. It's a verdict pronounced upon the arrogant king of Assyria that there is zero uncertainty in it. The Lord responds, and it's almost, can can you see this happening where you have these two kings, they're going at it, this king has conquered everybody in his path, this king has been great and struggled, he's down, people, it's all, this is coming down to a head, and so it goes to a higher court, and now when we move into the next section, it's like God steps into the courtroom, and there's Hezekiah, and over here, he's being sued. He's coming after, you know, king of Assyria is coming after him. And the judge steps in and says, I'll take this case. Verse 21. This is the word that the Lord has spoken concerning him. She despises you. She, talking about Assyria, scorns you. The virgin daughter of Zion, she wags her head behind you, the daughter of Jerusalem. Whom have you mocked and reviled? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes to the heights? Against the Holy One of Israel. By your messengers you have mocked the Lord and you have said, with my many chariots I have gone up the heights of the mountains to the far recesses of all Lebanon. I felled its tallest cedars, its choicest cypresses. I entered its farthest lodging place, its most fruitful forest. I dug wells and drank foreign waters and I dried up with the sole of my foot all the streams of Egypt. It sounds like Nebuchadnezzar, doesn't it? Look at what I, 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 I. Watch out now. 25, have you not heard that I determined it long ago? 
I planned from days of old what now I bring to pass, that you should turn fortified cities into heaps of ruins while their inhabitants shorn of strength are dismayed and confounded and have become like plants of the field and like tender grass, like grass on the housetops blighted before it's grown. I sent you to do all that. I brought judgment on all those nations and their pagan idolatry through you. You're actually my servant, king of Assyria. Verse 27, but I know you're sitting down. And you should have known this from when Elisha took on this, the, your, your king in, in front of you, ahead of you. I know you're sitting down and you're going out and you're coming in and you're raging against me. Hey, the Lord knows it about you and me too. Because you have raged against me and your complacency has come into my ears. Listen to this. I will put my hook in your nose. That's what they did to slaves. That's how they would get them from point A to point B is a hook in their nose because you're not going to run when something's hooked into your nose. I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth. You're my horse now. And I will turn you back on the way by which you came. You see the imagery? Some of you love horses. You put the bit in the mouth and you pull the reins and the horse turns back, immediately going the opposite way with the turn of the bridle. And the Lord is saying, let me tell you, I'm about to do this to you. And then the Lord doesn't stop there through Isaiah. He doesn't just pronounce judgment upon this wicked king of Assyria. He says, oh, and by the way, make sure you tell Hezekiah this. I have a future and a hope for him. This is more than Hezekiah even thought to ask for. How dare I presume upon this God and ask him for anything? Can you just please save us, please? Will you save us for your own name and for your own glory? And the Lord responds with, I'm, I'm more than able to do that. That doesn't, that doesn't deprive me of my storehouses to deliver you. There's a whole lot more than what you stripped off the doors and gave to the king of Assyria. Listen to what he says, verse 29. And this shall be a sign for you. This year, eat what grows of itself. And then in the second year, what springs of the same. And then in the third year, sow and reap and plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Hey, make some plans. Put some seed in the ground pretty soon. I'm not done. He says, for up, in, in verse 30, and the surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward, for out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord will do this. You see, this battle isn't just between Hezekiah and the king of Assyria, Sennacherib. There's a war for who is going to rule the world, and his name is Jesus, and the Lord is telling through Isaiah to Hezekiah, there's coming a royal son out of David's line, and I promised it, and I'm not going back on my promise, and no foreign wicked king is going to, he's not going to stop me. He's not going to thump me, and I'm going to show him. And in a moment, a superpower, the superpower of the world is brought to ruin. You say, well, yeah, but pastor, that's Old Testament, you know. I don't know. Is God still the same? Yeah? What did Paul write? Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think 
Isn't that what just happened here? Lord, can you please save us? Please save us. Oh, I'll save you in a spectacular fashion. And then I'm going to give you a hope and a future. Because through you is coming Jesus. More abundantly than we can ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church doesn't that sound like hezekiah save us that everyone will glory in you lord to him be the glory in the church and in christ jesus throughout all generations that includes us okay forever and ever and all god's people said amen so when we pray we have to preach the truth of scriptures to our hearts because we can all be in points like hezekiah unbelieving can will god even hear me and again like is he tired of me is he just so put out with me let hezekiah show you the way back this prophecy was precise now god essentially said to hezekiah to isaiah to all the people of judah I got this. Stand back. Isn't that somebody you want defending you? Throw a punch, boom, and the person's like, crushed to the ground. Therefore, verse 32. Thus says the Lord, concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by that same way he shall return. And he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant, David. You realize this is what God promised to do for his people if they would have just obeyed him all along? And where did they stumble? They forgot the Lord, they sinned, they rebelled against him, and they ended up in trouble. Help. That's the, that's the whole thing we've been doing in our series. Time and time and time again. Lord, here I am again. Here we are again. All along, this is what he wanted to do for his people. He says, that king, yeah, he's taken out every other nation. He's not going to put a foot in your city. That king, he's, le he's leveled king after king after king, nation after nation in his, in, in, in the, in his path. He's not going to fire an arrow in your city. I mean, come on, that's not even in the city. That's an arrow's distance away from the city. Like, not one person will be like, oh, yeah, there's my arrow. You know, ha, <laughs> ha. Not one foot in the city, not one arrow. Matter of fact, they're not even going to say, where's my shield at? You know, here's my shield. I'm going to get behind my shield real quick. Not even a shield, let alone what they did. And you watched them do it in the kingdom right to the north of you. And they build the siege mound and they wait the city out of Samaria until they, everybody's done and they're toast. And they just like, hey, we're here. Yeah, take us. Not one foot. Not one shield, not one arrow. Nobody's coming in here. I got this. This is my city. This is my name. These are my people. And my son is coming through these people. Stand back. Everything changes. 
in that moment, everything changes. And that happens on one critical night. One critical night. Everything, okay, you've got these two sides. You've got the Assyrians, and they're ready, and they've beat everybody from where they started to where they are now, and they got another battle, you know, the next day, and they're out there, they're all camped, 185,000 of them. And then you have Israel, and they have a promise from God that everything is going to change, and the Lord is going to defend us, and it's all coming down to this one night. So by this time tomorrow night, everything's going to be different, and we've heard what it's supposed to be, but I don't know what it, I can't see it yet. And these people over here are like, ah, people everywhere told us their God would defend us. And how's that work so far? <laughs> One critical night. You know what fool's gold is? Man, it looks good. It's shiny. But it's not real. It's worthless. It's absolutely worthless. It's not the real thing. That king coming from Assyria, you know what he was trying to do? He's trying to build a kingdom for his kids. He wanted to hand to them something bigger and greater and better than what he inherited. What is the legacy that we're handing down to our family? And that's where we have to ask the question, am I handing to them gold that will last, tried by fire, or am I handing fool's gold? The stuff, the trophies, the things that everybody else is living for and dying for on this planet, and it cannot deliver your soul. What's the legacy? Remember what the Lord told to that rich man who trusted in his riches in Luke 12, 20? I'm going to tear my barns down and build bigger barns. I, you know, this bigger house, bigger this, bigger, bigger, bigger. The Lord said to him, fool, this night. When's that night for you? this night your soul is required of you and the things that you have prepared who's going to get them all all that stuff you've amassed who's going to get it all all those things you think are so important you forgot one thing you're not God and the Lord said Jesus speaking that's foolish the fool has said in his heart, there is no God to live like there's no God. And we see on these two sides, it's coming down to this one night. And number seven is one supernatural victory. One supernatural victory. Our God is awesome. And that night, that one critical night, the angel of the Lord, the angel, the one angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, these were, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived at Nineveh. And as he was worshiping in the house of Nishrach, his god, Adramelech and Sherezer, his sons, the ones he was doing all this for struck him down with the sword and escaped into the land of Ararat. And Eshardan, his son, reigned in his place. And Assyria was done as a world power. One night. One night. One eternal lesson about the foolishness of idolatry 
And what does Jesus say to us? I want this to echo in our hearts, loved ones. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek when? First. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all those other things that Jesus was talking about that's important, he'll take care of those. They'll have their place. They'll have their, their right place. But seek first the kingdom of God. And I'm, I want to ask us all that question. Are we seeking first the kingdom of God? And this is what I believe. Like, how many sermons have you heard? And what is changing in our lives by the word that we're hearing? How are our hearts and minds and attitudes and schedules and finances changing as we hear the word of God? And what I am just maybe ignorant or faithful or foolish enough to believe or whatever it is, is that this one sermon, you might hear it and say, I need to get right with God. I need to, Lord, change me. I want to be like Hezekiah. Whatever's happened in the past, here I am to worship you. I will seek you first. And you know what he will do? Provide supernatural victory. If it's the first time and you've ever cried out to him to save you, he will save you supernaturally. If you are his child and you've been wandering, he will hear you and he will remember, repent, and return. Come back. I've been waiting for you. What's that next step for you to make your one life count for Christ? What's that next step for you to make one? Did you catch it through the whole sermon? It's like one, one king one enemy, just one overwhelming situation, all these things happening, and it came down to the Lord provided, the Lord delivered, and what's that next step for you? What's that next step for me? To live in surrender to him from this day forward. Will you stand with me? Father in heaven, you are the great defender. You are the great deliverer. And when it comes to our salvation, you did not just send an angel, you sent your son so that we could be forgiven because he lived the life that we could never live. He was sinless. He was perfect. And then he died the death that we deserve to die. And then he, unlike any king before him, rose to life again and defeated death, hell, and the grave. So we thank you, Jesus, for your life, for pouring out your life unto death for us. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the tomb. And we praise you that it's empty and you are at the right hand of the Father. And today you are receiving, you are saving sinners and you are mending broken hearts. That's what you're doing right now. And so Father, I pray that today we will be right, get right, live right with you. Search our hearts, our minds, our lives. By your spirit, may we confess and forsake all sin and trust in you completely. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. 
we want you to always remember that you are loved.